This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello? Hi. Hey, Anna, it's Mary. Okay, hi. Ana Vanessa Herrero is a journalist in Venezuela. Works for the New York Times. Hey, what's happening? Well, a lot. Juan <laughs> is speaking right now live from Bogota. When we connected, she was actually watching the opposition leader, Juan Guaido, give a speech on YouTube. Ana was there four weeks ago when Guaido declared himself the country's new president on a Caracas street corner. The question then, what would the sitting president, Nicolas Maduro, do next? Yeah. And I remember you telling me, like, there's no way he's going to just leave. And I feel like we know mm-hmm. that better than ever now. And and we have that confirmed by the vice president of Venezuela, um, Delcy Rodriguez, who, yeah, who this Sunday said that when everything that we saw on Saturday was just a small, a tiny amount of what they are capable of doing. Um, I think that says a lot. This weekend, the United States and other supporters of the opposition began ratcheting up the pressure. They lined up humanitarian aid along Venezuela's border. These supplies, while desperately needed, they came with strings attached. The opposition, led by Juan Guaido, hoped seeing these pallets loaded with essentials like rice and beans would tempt Maduro's soldiers to switch sides. Instead, the pro-government militia began firing on civilians who'd come out hoping for food and medicine. In the Brazilian border, it was madness. It was total chaos. And it was very frightening, the reports that I was getting here in Caracas. Four people were killed. Hundreds were injured. Ana's been glued to YouTube and Twitter ever since, trying to report out what sources on the ground are telling her. I heard gunshots while uh, reporters were talking to me. And then while all this was happening, this violence at the border... Maduro was salsa dancing? Salsa dancing with his wife on a televised broadcast. And he was trying to show how happy he was, how sure of himself he was, and how strong the government was. This is a way of him showing that he's under control and that nothing is happening. But, you know, the fact that he's so detached from reality, it it, it still amazes everyone that, that watches those um, those images. The president is salsa dancing as the people he leads are starving and going without medicine. Since this weekend's clashes at the border, Anna says phone and internet connections have been less reliable too, which is why you're going to hear us go back and forth from Skype to a phone line. It's just one more way this country is in chaos right now. Yeah. 
Do we know what's happened to all this aid that was sitting at the border, both in Brazil and Colombia? It was turned back, and it's right now in in Colombia and in Brazil just waiting to see what they're going to do with it. Imagine, this is hundreds of trucks filled with aid, and there's more to come. You know, they're there. It's like the country right now. Basically, the aid is happening the same thing as the country. They're there, stopped. Ana says this aid on the border, it's a metaphor for the country as a whole. Because all of Venezuela is just waiting to see what happens next. I'm Mary Harris. Today, Ana's going to tell me how to think about this moment. Is it a turning point? Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about the opposition leader, Juan Guaido. And the last time we spoke, he was a little bit of a mystery. Like he had he had come up so quickly. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when we spoke, I felt like all this hope that you had with him. And I'm just wondering how your perspective on Juan Guaido has changed over the last month. Well, I wouldn't say... I myself was hopeful. I think the people of Venezuela were hopeful that he might be the person uh, they were looking for. I'm very critical about every politician because covering this this country for 11 years and being born and raised here pushes you to be extremely critical of anyone that calls themselves politicians in this country. You've said to me that really the place that we need to watch is the Venezuelan military. Because mm-hmm. Nicolas Maduro's power really rides on them. And my impression, looking at what happened this weekend, is that most of the military really remains firmly entrenched with Nicolas Maduro. Do, do you agree? I do and I don't at the same time. I do because definitely the high rank officials are with them all the way. And I don't really think that it's going to change. High rank officials are going to stick there with Nicolas Maduro, because let's not forget that most of them are, or many of them, are involved in criminal uh, activities, uh, according to uh, the United States and other countries that uh, sanctioned them already, and uh, they have a lot to lose. But I say I don't agree with you, because the troops are the one we should be looking at, middle ranks and troops are the ones that are really suffering the consequences of the humanitarian crisis. And those are the ones that we saw switch sides. Also, we saw generals, some generals, but most most of them were troops. And those are the ones that are talking about what's going on. Those are the ones that 
also have family members who are suffering from medical shortages, from food shortages, and that want to want to change. But at the same time, they don't really know what's happening. Let's not forget that the government is the government's line. It's basically the United States is using this to invade us, and no one wants an invasion. That is for sure. Not most Venezuelans I've talked to don't want an invasion of the United States. They want this to be solved by Venezuelans. So if this is the the um, uh, the thought that is being spread among the troops and among the military, then imagine the situation they must be at. Um, they want the aid to come in, but they don't want an intervention. Of course, they, they, they want this to be solved differently. So they have no other option but to stay there and to see what the Venezuelan opposition is going to do. Is there any way to tell what those sort of middle members of the military are thinking and to sort of get an idea of what you know, the sort of people who would be relied on to carry out the Maduro regime are sort of beginning to think and whether anyone is changing their minds. I think I think the fact that we haven't seen the National Guard repress protests in the past two months tells us a lot about where they're thinking. I think that the fact that there has been no inside of uh, demonstrations apart from what we saw this weekend. I'm just talking about the past a uh, few months, huge demonstrations, uh, hundreds of thousands of people on the streets and maybe, you know, a couple of tear gas bombs. And that was it. It's so different from what we saw in 2017 when uh, we saw hundreds of people on the streets and uh, National Guardsmen just shooting directly at them with tear gas bombs. Actually, uh, I think three or four died because they got shot with a tear gas bomb directly to the chest. And that is so different. I think the important thing about Venezuela right now, it's not only looking at the open kind of information we're getting. It's looking between the lines. Ana says the trouble with being inside Venezuela right now is that everyone's got a story to tell and you don't know what their motivations are. Earlier this week, she noticed opposition leaders saying that aid had made it through the border, but she wasn't able to confirm that. The opposition isn't necessarily doing everything 100% right. They're trying to get their perspective out there, too. And so it's a little bit of a information warfare back and forth. Exactly like that, yes. And the most, more, the most dangerous part is that there are many journalists that want this to end. So they are, they're, they're really careful about what they're reporting. And that is very dangerous. Hold on, what do you mean when you say that? I just want to make sure I understand you. Well, I mean that there are many journalists that, you know, support the, the Venezuelan opposition and are willing to, you know, live with the fact that, for example, they are not telling the truth in one aspect and they won't say anything about it. Hmm. And when you say it, they would be after you. They would go after you like, why are you saying that? You're not helping. <laughs> I'm like, that's my job. So you have to be very careful who you follow and the news you're getting. With all this uncertainty... It's hard to know how all this is going to end. Many Venezuelans are wary of what military action would mean. I've spoken to a lot of former supporters of the government, of Hugo Chavez, who definitely say they don't want an intervention, but they're supporting Juan Guaido. But they're n- they don't want Americans crossing the border just to take um, Nicolas Maduro as a prisoner. Uh, because that's the idea that some of them are getting, some that people are getting here, that that could happen. We'll, we'll have to see right now, because right after this weekend, things change completely. It seems like this funny time period where things are kind of moving, moving fast and slow at the same time. 
It is. It is. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of doubt about what's next, because even though we never saw the government changing their strategy um, about the aid, we knew this was going to happen. And the, the opposition, the Venezuelan opposition knew this was going to happen. But still, the way it happened, I think it was a shock for the Venezuelan opposition that didn't react um, to it. It's, it's like they, didn't, they, they weren't expecting this to be so violent and so cruel. Anna, thank you so much for, for chatting with me and giving me an update on where things are. Thank you. We should do this every month. Just see I how, know. How accurate we're getting it. <laughs> Ana Vanessa Herrero is a journalist for The New York Times. We'll be right back. Josh Keating focuses on international affairs here at Slate. So he looks at everything that's been happening in Venezuela from 30,000 feet. He says to get an idea of how bespoke this administration's approach to foreign policy is, just look at the president's schedule over the next few days. This week, Donald Trump is sitting down again with Kim Jong-un of North Korea, uh, someone who he's repeatedly you know, praised as you know, sort of very smart and great leaders, wants to uh, you know, build his country's economy and, and do great things for the people of North Korea. And so this we have this weird contrast where he's praising uh, on the one hand, one of the world's most brutal dictators, uh, somebody who's, you know, imprisoned American citizens, killed, ordered assassinations on foreign soil. And then at the same time, we're, we have this sort of very hard line, almost, you know, neocon rhetoric uh, about, you know, what a monster uh, Maduro is and how he needs to be overthrown. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> What's the difference? Is it just that Venezuela has oil? One uh, difference that's been cited by members of the administration is that Venezuela is in our region. It's in the Western Hemisphere. So uh, what happens there has an impact for the U.S. in terms of drug trafficking, in terms of uh, the migrant crisis that's been created as a result of the destabilization of Venezuela. I think that uh, for a lot of people, this is a very sort of direct and personal issue in a way that maybe some other bad governments around the world aren't. Hmm. There's been some reporting about how President Trump came to focus on Venezuela in particular and who are sort of who are the people in his cabinet pushing him to behave one way or another in this. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Well, for some people around Trump, this is very personal, uh, definitely for Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida, who's been on this issue since long before Trump came around. Uh, Mike Pence has been uh, sort of passionate about Latin American issues. He's been very outspoken on Venezuela. So uh, Pence has been the like attack dog of the Trump administration. Uh, it's clearly when they want to send a kind of bellicose message and a more sort of traditional hawkish GOP message. Uh, Pence seems to be the one they deploy. And uh, he was certainly the one today. Josh is talking about this meeting that took place between Vice President Pence and Venezuela's opposition leader, Juan Guaido. It was just yesterday, a summit of Latin American leaders in Colombia. Pence slammed President Nicolas Maduro, saying Venezuela would soon be a nation reborn to libertad. He left the door open to military action, too. I mean, last time we talked, you sort of ticked off a list of things that the administration could do. 
like declaring an oil embargo, which they have done. But then one of the next steps you said was like, well, military action. I mean, how possible do you think that is? Do you think that that's changed over the last month? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think what's happening is there was a hope that this would kind of resolve itself, that if they ramped up the pressure enough that senior members of the Venezuelan military would turn on him, that there'd be a coup or an uprising and that, you know, Maduro would have to flee or would just resign. Uh, but he's hanging in there. Over the weekend, we saw a few defections from the military, but I, you know, the numbers I've seen say it's still less than 1% have, have uh, resigned over this. So really, by and large, the armed forces are backing him. And what that means is that as bad as things may get and as chaotic and as desperate as the situation is for people in Venezuela, uh, Maduro could hang in for quite a while. Uh, he, he doesn't seem to be in any hurry to leave. And so, you know, that means we're probably in for a long-term stalemate where, you know, you see uh, the U.S. and its allies continuing to recognize a different president of Venezuela. And we continue to have sort of two dueling uh, governments uh, vying for legitimacy in that country. I guess I wonder, is this coalition of people and countries that are supporting the opposition in Venezuela, is it growing? It has grown. I mean, I, I think that uh, there were, I think, 11 countries initially, mostly in Latin America. Since then, uh, most of the EU countries have kind of come around and are mostly supporting Guaido. Um, Australia has signed on. Uh, so there has been a, you know, to the Trump administration's credit, there has been uh, an impressive kind of coalition they've built on this. Um, that said, I think that if that may fracture a little bit if we start talking in more explicit terms about military action. I think that there are a lot of countries uh, that support the overall U.S. position on this but aren't going to want to sign on to you know, an invasion of Venezuela. And what's interesting now is you hear Guaido using that, you know, all options on the table message, which, um, you know, is definitely kind of echoing the rhetoric coming out of the Trump administration. Okay, so Guaido is sounding a lot more like Pence these days. Does that mean the goalposts are moving here, at least for Guaido? Yeah, and I don't think he's entirely alone. I think that there are members of the Venezuelan opposition who would probably welcome military intervention. You know, the, the problem, as always, is uh, what comes afterwards. I mean, it's the uh, Maduro still has a lot of support and includes uh, most of the military, a lot of people with guns. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, as we've learned time again, it's a lot easier to overthrow a dictator than it is to plan for what comes after. Josh Keating, thank you so much for putting it all in perspective. Thanks, Mary. That's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by the phenomenal team of Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. If you want to check out the movies the What Next staff thinks you should watch instead of Green Book, go over to my Twitter feed. I unspool them there. It's at Mary's desk. You can also say hey by writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really do read them. And if you are the person who said you like it when I say, hmm, hey, thank you. Okay, talk to you tomorrow. 